Um, so can you remember how to do this? How to do what? Podcasting. <laughs> oh, well, you know, it's been a while. Yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, we'll be fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, we, we winked it the first time, it was alright, so we're again. <laughs> some would say we'll get the other six times as well, but other five yeah, times. Yeah, some would say that. <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to another damn conspiracy. I am your Ooh. host, Carl, and I am joined by the second voice, as per it's usual. Me, your other host, George. Hi. <laughs> Technically, is it two hosts if we're both just like we don't have anybody else on the show? So, well, are we technically both hosting it? Because we're technically just hosting ourselves. Yeah. Okay. But look, I mean, you know, just because we haven't interviewed anyone, so we're not still a host, right? <laughs> I mean, eventually, maybe someone else will come on, and then we can then we can do some hosting. Yeah, I mean, it's like if you had a party at your house and it was just you and a lot of snacks, you technically would you technically would you still be part of the host of the party? I don't know. Be a, da- be a damn good party. It's my <laughs> kind of party. <laughs> That's true. And we're gonna open up um, today with a, not a particularly great topic. The no, world, but it's a hot issue. It really yeah, is. Yeah, the world's gone fucking nuts since we stopped recording. Oh my I, I, God. I think another damn conspiracy is the equilibrium in the world. And if you don't have the podcast, it goes fucking mental. I think that is the facts. <laughs> you say it all kicks off and we don't record. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's what um, ISIL's all about. <laughs> hey, we, we clearly have a group of very influential listeners. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and you know what? If we don't keep them busy listening to us ramble for our very short 15-minute strict policy uh, <laughs> podcast... You know, they, they just go off and do crazy things. Yeah. I, no, no, I'm not that serious. Well, I definitely know that um, the Department of Defence and Theresa May will definitely be listening to this. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Although they do listen to everything, so that might be everything. a bit of a... Yeah. <laughs> so, so the issue in question, or the, the first thing we're going to talk about at least, is, um, is, is the Paris attacks. Yeah. Now, uh, it's uh, obviously it's a very, very, very serious issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for us in, in the UK, not least because, you know, it's... Uh, it's reminiscent of what happened in London those years ago, and and actually oh, yeah. you look at these attacks and you think, well, that could so easily have been London on that day. It, it's it's really quite scary. You know, the similarity between Paris and London is enormous, despite what we think. And, yeah. You know, this this is terrorism happening on exactly the same scale on this country's doorstep. You know, and it's and, terrifying. and and, and, and even, even if you're not as compassionate about someone from another country, you have to wake up and realise that actually. This is right here. Yeah, it's it's terrifying, and and the way the attack was done as well, it was attack on Paris, a very free country, and the attack sort of the targets were all leisure activities essentially, mm. stadiums, theatres, things like that, and it's a very planned attack on. Well, it's sort of our freedom, essentially. They want us. They want a shit scare. That's what terrorism is about. It's oh, about causing it. panic and causing fear. And they did it on a, what, a Friday night, yeah. um, <laughs> on the sort of places where people would be just winding down for the week. Uh, and, and you know, it's the sort of places as well that aren't that aren't well defended. You know, these are just these are just 
your everyday places. Yeah. You know, yeah. there and okay, you know, there's a story at the stadium about how one security guard mentioned that far fewer people are injured by stopping one of the terrorists going into that into the stade is it the Stade de France? I think so. Is it the Stade de Charles de Gaulle? I can't remember. Um anyway, it's the it's the largest stadium, it's a big stadium in Paris anyway. Yeah. Up in the north of the city. Um, but you see uh, that that aside, I mean, those are just like football security guards, right? You know, yeah. they're, they're, these are not like armed policemen or you know military people. These are just regular security guards, right? Well, they're, they're trained to sort of fight foot, football hooligans, essentially. Yeah, that's their job. Basically, basically roughing up drunks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Making sure you know there's no stampedes. This is not this is not an anti-terrorism force. So you know, no, very no. brave person. But you know, like these other places, this, this Bataclan. It's it's just it's just a it's just a concert hall like yeah it could be it's just anything yeah it's you know these aren't anything but civilian targets no and that obviously has been done to scare the shit out of people yeah and because I don't I think the thing I sort of got out of the, all this is that the we have a need now more than ever. To stand united and to say, you know what, we're not scared of this shit and we're not going to change our way of life because of it. Because the matter of fact is, they targeted that because they want to scare us. They want Mm. us to be worried about them. And essentially, I think, you know, I can't remember who said it on my Twitter feed, I wanted to scroll down. But somebody was saying that the world, I think it was Josh Booth who said that the world should be more like a rock concert, you know. We should all just get, you know, get together and unite against this threat rather than divide. And unfortunately, there's been a lot of division. A lot of people are scaremongering. I mean, the the press, of course, is fucking. I mean, the sun. Oh God, the sun. <laughs> it's not. It's not helped at all. I, I I've got to say that um, the division is is obviously very interesting if you're actually looking at this. But but um, it's the solution has got to come from a careful think yeah. about why this has happened. You know, you can you can knee jerk and say, well, the obvious thing is to just get, you know, military police everywhere and check every bag and you know all this sort of stuff. You think, well, it that, that doesn't actually that that that's okay. That's 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 dealing with a symptom. It's like a painkiller, mm. but it's not actually um, a cure. It's not a vaccine. No, and, and I think I, th- I think the real answer lies with looking at the situation, and saying, why did this happen? Yeah, not I mean, just we... how can we stop it. Why did this happen, and therefore how can we stop it? I mean, we can only speculate on that, and I don't want to speculate too far, but you look into it and you go, well, you know, the areas these people come from happen to be the areas we've been bombing the shit out of for many, many years, and you have to think that maybe rushing in and boring Syria might not be the right answer in this situation. Rushing in and boring Syria? Bombing. I did say boring. You said boring. Was that Freudian slip? (laughs) Yep. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Apologies to any... (laughs) <laughs> of our listeners in Syria, if we're boring you. Oh uh, yeah, uh, I, I I hope you're not listening to this. I hope you. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> um. But you see that the one of the things that the prime minister has come out and said is that he 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 at least believes that we are already top of Syria's list, or you know, at, at top of ISIS's list, um, along with countries like France and presumably the US. Um, and I think that's part of his way of. Uh, demonstrating to doubters that we should be attacking you know attacking mm. these ISIS people in Syria with you know 
whatever it is, drone bombings or forces on the ground or whatever it is. Yeah. That's his way of saying, actually, you know, we could go and do that and it wouldn't make the situation worse. Well, yeah. I, I for one, I'm not convinced. And I think there's pretty, I'm pretty certain that there's evidence that suggests that going into these countries and doing things like, you know, blowing up civilians actually, actually creates resentment. Yeah. With people in your own country. And, 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 you know, that's what we saw with, with, um, you know, bombers in various terrorist incidents. Is that actually a lot of them come from the country that was bombed. They're not, yeah. these are not, these are not, you know, as, as, as uh, the gutter press has been saying, you know, refugees coming over under false pretenses and all this sort of rubbish. They're, 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 they're people who have been directly affected by this. And I, 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 okay, fine, ISIS hate us. We all know ISIS hate us. Yeah. But why should we go and do something that's going to make even more people hate us? That does not sound like a policy for safety. Yeah, I think it needs some thought put into it and some time put into it, and they're not going to give it. And I, I hope they do, but I don't see them doing it, because obviously people want, the, the, the average person seems to want knee-jerk reactions, so we do something now. The problem is, that's not always the smartest method, and I think that's we'll sort of what will end this discussion on, is the fact that they need to think carefully about why this is happening. And I don't necessarily think they're just attacking us because it's just an easy target at all. I think they're doing it for very, very, very sort of... Well, they're basically doing it because their ideologies don't meet up with ours. But I don't think bombing them into submission is really going to be the answer to it. Um, but what the answer is, I don't know. We don't. I mean, let, let's be clear that ISIS is not the same as a regular guerrilla terrorist group. No. I don't mean guerrilla as in like apes. I mean like guerrilla as in a guerrilla force. That's one mm. that you know will hide out in the mountains. You know, when we when we think of something like the Taliban, we think of a small group of fanatics with guns hiding in mountains and plotting. Yeah. ISIS does not operate like that anymore. It is a full-blown state. It is it is um, using the oil fields in Iraq that it has captured from Iraq and ingested into its so-called caliphate, and it is using that oil and it is selling it. Um, and and actually, that there's pretty good evidence to suggest that that oil, because it just goes into the same pipes as all the other oil, is now in the UK. We are using ISIS's oil in yeah. our cars now. And and okay, we need to stop that. And the US has done. The US, which is bombing ISIS, has blown up tankers of, of oil and all this sort of stuff. But there is a massive, massive flow of finance to ISIS now. And it's operating like a full-blown state. It's got courts, it's got schools, it's got tax collection. You know, it, it They're building up an actual state. And for me, that's an interesting point. Hmm. Because attacking a guerrilla force with an armed assault is always going to kill more civilians than it does the guerrilla group. Because they're hiding... The civilians are just exposed. Yeah. The longer ISIS goes on building itself into a recognisable, concrete organisation, the greater the case becomes, I think, for some sort of formal intervention, some sort of formal military intervention, mm. because it becomes obvious who the enemy is. But at this point, as Dennis Skinner rightly pointed out in one of his usual blistering attacks in, in Parliament, he, he, he rightly pointed out that we have enemies all over the shop, and it's actually not clear still quite who we should be fighting apart from ISIS, and then we don't know who's working with ISIS and who's working against ISIS. He, he said some daft things about Turkey, I think, but we'll not go there. <laughs> so for me, it's still way, way, way too early to go to war, and I think it's actually too early to start bombing either. Mm. But 
it depends. If Isis keeps off his momentum, I could see that changing. But I'm I'm not one for war. No. And I would I would prefer it if Isis actually didn't continue with the momentum. I think I for me I think that the actual region, the countries within the region, should be doing more to tackle it because it's a danger to them. Um, okay, a country like Iraq is in a position of weakness because of what the Western powers have done to it. Yeah. And make no mistake, by drastically damaging the region, we have allowed ISIS to exist. Yeah. But, even so. It is kind of something out of our own creation, which is kind of bad to think about, really, but... You can think of it as a byproduct of what what happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's not something we deliberately sort of founded, but it's obviously something that's... A waste product of this. Uh, and of course, it's it's something that people were saying at the time was was probably going to happen. And well, lo and behold, it's happened. But who listens to yeah. intelligent people? Eh? Well, the Onion of all places did an article. Oh like, yeah. Did the, the, was it ten years ago? Maybe. If if you don't know, the Onion is like a, a satirical news site, right? Yeah, and they basically said that you know they write piss take articles. Yeah, and their their piss take article was basically the children of the people were gonna were bombing now will basically start a revolution and. You know, <laughs> against us, and you know what? And you know, with um, the power of the internet, we can look back and say, you know what? They were being flippant and facetious at the time. You know, they kind of knew that what they were saying was true, but they were making a point. Yeah. Well, they were right. Yeah, the onion was right. Oh God. <laughs> and on that note, we shall move on. <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, we're, we're we're aware that there is a still a situation going on, and there's a recent escalation with. Russia and Turkey. If that stays current in the news, I think we'll probably address that in future because that's another interesting point. But it's a separate issue at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's and we fair. have to move on because otherwise we really will be another hour. Yeah, and we can't be that today. <laughs> tax breaks for the rich. Tax breaks for the rich. Tax breaks for the rich and all your Tory chums. Then you blame the migrant workers. You blame the migrant workers. Blame the migrant workers and not your Tory chums. Won't you fuck off back to Eton? Fuck off back to Eton. Fuck off back to Eton with all your Eton. So, so there is there is another issue. It's a domestic politics issue. Do you want to do you want to lead off? So yes, the um, autumn statement came out only a few days ago from when we were recording this, actually. Was it Wednesday? Yeah. yeah. Um, it follows straight on after Prime Minister's questions, so needless to say, the Commons were were in a, in a rowdy mood. Yeah. And basically, they it was a government spending review, and they've basically come and said, you know, these are the, this is our review, and this is what we're going to do over the next, probably how many years is it? Well, I mean, they're talking about they're talking about planning for the next parliament. So it's the next five years. Five years, okay. It takes us right through to twenty twenty to the next election, basically. Yeah, fucking hell, that's, that seems too far away. Now you know, not not to be totally critical, mm. um, you know, or totally negative anyway. Um, the chancellor has done some sensible things. He's mm. not cutting the police budget. No. Which is, is interesting, which, yeah. which he was threatening to do, presumably because he didn't want Theresa May to get any more unpopular than she already is. Yeah. Um, and uh, he's actually managed to continue uh, science funding at its present rate, which is quite good as well. That is good. Um, although it's pretty small at the moment, so to cut it would be a negligible saving. Maybe that's why it survived. <laughs> yeah, it's too small, so... Yeah. However, everything else is utter shit. Pretty much, yeah. That's a technical dream. 
I mean, the, the major thing that the press have all been running with is like, tax credits have been U-turned and you should all be happy for it. <laughs> Let's be clear, it is a U-turn. And it is a U-turn, but the problem is, is that the cuts to other um, benefits is going to be drastic yet again. The, the basic principle is this, they were going to put tax credits, along with a load of other different benefits, into the universal credit system thing. Mm-hmm. which is basically meant to be one type of benefit that you get, and it's got different chunks that feed into your own universal credit. Yeah. It's basically a, an extra tier of bureaucracy. Um, <laughs> and, okay, they're not cutting tax credits immediately. No. Uh, they're just cutting it, but they're just slotting it into universal credit and then reducing universal credit over the next five years. Yeah. So, so they're creating it and then cutting it. Yeah, so it's like, it's not that they've, not you know they're not cutting tax credits is that they're prolonging its existence yeah. for a little bit yeah. longer because they're, 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 they're letting people starve to death over the next five years instead of the next five weeks yeah which is well it's as compassionate as a conservative can probably get to be honest yeah that's true yeah. unless it's about their own woman and their own back garden um not not we're going to talk about that today um david no. cameron's obviously had some problems with the conservative cuts um <laughs> Writing his complaints to his local council, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, it's, 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 it's not appropriate in Whitney, clearly. No, no, of course not. Um, no, no, absolutely. So they've awesome. they've increased the housing budget. Uh, it's du- it's doubled to two billion, Which and they is say still pathetic, by the way. Yeah, and they say they're going to build four hundred thousand affordable new homes. But I've nice. been looking at these affordable homes that they've been building, and it, affordable to who? Yeah, like, to them. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's be clear that the Tories changed the definition of an affordable house yeah. in the last parliament. So affordable homes, when Labour were building them, is nothing like what affordable homes are now. It's not affordable. Unless you are happen to have a fucking good job. If you're on a minimum wage job, and there's two of you, you still won't be affordable there, affordable homes. No. I mean, you can afford an affordable house if you already own a home. You'd have to sell it. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's not very good if you're not actually on the damn housing ladder. No, they're still not. They're still not helping anything to do with that. There's still major issues with people, young people, getting on the housing ladder. Well, yeah. but I think a lot of them are ha- like landlords, aren't they? A lot of the Conservative cabinet. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny you should say that because <laughs> I heard that, that a lot of the cabinet have shares in private healthcare firms as well. Really? Yeah, I, you know, I heard that. Yeah, and you know what? They're um, they're thinking about privatizing the police, and Theresa May's husband. Is one of the directors of G4S. Really? Yeah. How? What, what a strange coincidence. <laughs> it's like they're carving up the country for personal gain. Huh? No. 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 <laughs> um, where were we? Oh, yeah. That's the sort um, of thing his lot gets dragged into court for. I know. No, no, we, we, we said nothing. It was a coincidence. It's, it must be a coincidence. Surely a coincidence. No, we're just, we're, just, we're just looking at it and going like, huh, what a coincidence that is. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. Um... They've got they're launching a new pilot scheme to at five housing associations to allow tenants to buy the homes, which I mean the Conservatives have sort of decimated council housing, starting with Thatcher. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, like, I, you know, I can, I can understand the principle behind it. You can aspire to buy your own council house. Good idea, but it only works if you actually carry on building replacement council houses. Which they don't. It's a good way of getting people onto the housing ladder. Fine. Secure mortgage, basically, is what it is. Mm-hmm. But if you don't bother building any more houses, you run out of council houses, which is exactly what has happened. Yeah, those 400,000 affordable new homes are not council houses. They're all for nope. profit. Yep. And we need, to, we, need to build, we need to build more council houses. Otherwise, <laughs> you know, 
there's a, you know people are focused because there's a huge shortage of housing. There is. I'm getting more and more annoyed by these sort of NIMBY protesters saying we don't want it on our green belt and all this sort of thing. I think it's time. I think it's time that we woke up and started realizing that actually we need houses really quite desperately, and there yeah. is an absolute shed load of green belt in this country. We just need to build the damn things. But yeah. you see, what the Tories have done is reduce the planning restrictions so that that can go ahead. But at the same time, they've also reduced the sort of requirements that you need to put in place to actually agree to build houses right. And the result is that we're getting all sorts of hideous monstrosities being put up without yeah. any schools, without any doctor surgeries, without any infrastructure for people to move or commute. And it's just ridiculous. We're, what we're doing is we're not building enough houses, and the ones we're building are too expensive, poor quality, and not catered for, and will damage local communities. So I can understand the NIMBYism. What the government is doing is basically one big, long, complete cock-up. Yeah. But the thing is, as well, is like... A Shoddy housing policy. Yeah, like a, a, a decent, sustainable housing policy would also have in it sort of plans for other infrastructure in the local area, schools, shops, things like that. And uh, What we've got to realise yeah. is that there, there is no way for a local council to impose that. No, a, ca- a council cannot turn round to a housing developer and say you have to build the school. Yeah, because that housing developer will say, well, that puts the va- that puts the cost of this site up. I'll just go to one in the next council area. Yeah, they don't want me to build a school. This has to be national legislation. It has to come from Westminster to make it a le- level playing field up and down the country. And if it doesn't, which it isn't, no one builds anything. No, no. one bothers. No, we just so in the meantime the they're cutting the number of doctors, they're cutting the number of teachers. And expecting more pupils and more patients to come through the system. Yeah, it's just beggar's belief. Yeah, they could, like, they could partner with businesses, like, like, say, right, give them a contract. You're going to build this many shops in this area. You're going to build this many schools in these areas. You're going to build this infrastructure that's desperately needed. There's a bit. There's a, you know, four hundred new houses being built. I'm certain Tesco would probably go. All right, I'll build a little shop there. Yeah, but they're not even thinking that. I mean, of course, I support local businesses more than I do. These big massive chains, but even then, they don't consider even partnering with the sort of people that would happy to, you know, put the money yeah, into no, it. No one's saying that these the, the companies building these houses have to give these properties away. They don't, they don't have to build the school and expect nothing in return for it. But they should be obliged to build the school, and then the council should agree to buy the damn thing. Yeah. It, it, and okay, the council doesn't have a lot of money, but it will recognise the need for houses and therefore the need yeah. for schools. Well, there's yeah. a desperate need for school places as well. Yeah, well, this is why there's not enough school places. Because yeah. there's too many people. Because so they're just building houses really nearly. Yeah. Anyway, look, this is all housing policy. And okay, this is part of the budget, but there's a lot more in the budget than just housing that's got wrong. Sorry, sorry, there's a lot more in the budget. Yeah. So, um, so uh, this is one I particularly found, like, uh-huh. um, not disgusting, but kind of just odd. They, um, obviously, there's been big petitions about the tampon tax and women's health. Oh, yeah. And their response to Not a necessity, it, apparently. No, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> now, that's a debate that we're not going to get into, but... Various student unions, of course, are actually giving them out now to yeah. students. Well, that's good. Very sensible. They've planned that the tax from it will go to fund women's charities, which sounds like a nice move on their part, but then you just got to think, wait a minute, women's, char- women's charities that exist because there is gaps within things like the NHFs for yeah. women's health are now being funded by the very tax that is kind of affecting them. It's like, hold on. Let's be, let's be clear. They're not going to put any extra money into women's charities. They're just going to say, oh, we spent 
all the money from the tampon tax on women's charities. Yeah. It doesn't represent an increase. It's just that they're just ring-fencing something, but it's not actually increasing anything. It's, no. just, it's just a publicity stunt. It, it's absolutely ridiculous. I'd rather have this money obviously go to women's health charities. I'm not saying that they shouldn't go to there, but I think that there should be efforts to get rid of it. And they say it's an EU issue, which it may oh, be. But then we balls. can, but then we can obviously, if it is an EU issue, we can campaign in EU. But I think they're trying to use that as a kind of point to just say, look oh, how bad the EU is. Yes, yeah. clearly an excuse. And I think it'll be a point that's brought up when they start their um, sort of EU referendum shit. It will be oh, like, God. look at this. If we wouldn't have. Tampon tax without them. I think it's sadly. I think it's been used as a political point score, which is just interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, another, another interesting point from this statement is that they've um, they've protected the police budget, right? Mm-hmm. Now, what what I found interesting about this is that okay, they said finally we're going to protect police this time round, mm-hmm. but the firemen are still getting cuts. Yeah, um, and I noticed. That the fire the firemen's union has actually rejoined the Labour Party. Yeah, that's very interesting. That was it is, isn't it? Yeah. It is, isn't it? Because here we are. There's a rampant Tory cuts going on, putting us all at risk by cutting the number of firemen. Okay, allegedly removing backroom staff or a load of rubbish, <laughs> just cutting firemen basically and the equipment and all that sort of stuff. Lo and behold, we have a proper Labour Party leader who's gonna who's gonna actually defend things like firemen, you know, like actual people with actual jobs, basically, mm-hmm. rather than just shuffling money around. Um, not that I said anything. Um, and, and, you know, <laughs> I, I just think it's really interesting how, how, how the political mood is shifting. Yeah. You know, it. we're moving from an obsession with cuts. People are now starting to see that they're hitting home. And workers are realising that the Tory deception that they are the party of the working people, that is... That is coming down faster than you can describe, you know, fa- faster than those red road flats up in Glasgow. Right. <laughs> it's just it's just really interesting, that's all. And I, I hope we see more of it. I think that if we can demonstrate, you know, unions rejoining the Labour Party, it's like a vote of confidence, and I think I think it looks good for the Labour Party, actually. Yeah. I know that people are critical of unions, that's fine, but if, you know, if the party can demonstrate that it actually, is actually still attracting, you know, unions... It's still relevant to working people. Mm-hmm. It's only a good thing, and the Tories, are, the Tories are doing it to themselves. Yeah, but the the Tories, don't, don't get me wrong, Tories are the party of working people. You just have to happen to work in a bank and be a you know, CEO. Yeah, yeah. You know, or all your work happens to comprise of taking the dogs out on a hunt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Know, and, yeah, and, and you know, I, I I don't know, flogging poor people. Yeah. And, you know that that's sort of eating a swan, that sort of thing. Yes, proper jobs for proper work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, quite right, Boris. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there was more stuff. There's, oh, I, there's, yes. there's the great there's the great NHS deception going on at the moment. This is a particularly interesting one. They're alleging that they've spent are spending an unprecedented amount on the NHS, more more than any government has ever spent on the NHS before. Well, obviously we have inflation. Turns out that the coalition um, spent or. Well, Increased their spending over the five years by exactly the same amount that this government is planning to do as well. That's a 0.9% increase over the five years, yearly, every every year. That's below inflation. Yeah. Um. And you know, you compare that figure to the budget increases of the NHS under other governments, even even past Tory governments. And it is it is minimal. It is nothing. Channel Four did quite a complicated fact check on this. They used data from the Health Foundation, 
um, and 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 you can see that the, this 0.9% increase is absolutely dwarfed. That's 10 years of below inflation increases. Is absolutely dwarfed. Even the Tories increased it by 3.2% in their last stints in government. Mm -hmm. And the Labour Party increased it by 5.7% every single year on average in their last stint as well. You just think, it's, it's ridiculous yeah. that they can get away with this scandalous lie. Yeah, they are they are increasing, and it's just funny. It's absolutely rubbish. And then of course they, you know, Tory ministers like they've been slapped in the face when a doctor stands up on question time and says, "I'm having a right time of it. Everything's being cut." And they look like, "Well, really? How did that happen?" <laughs> no, that can't be true. <sighs> it's just it's just barefaced, unashamed fibs. Yeah, it's disgraceful. Do not be fooled. Yeah, do do not be fooled. That's definitely a word to take home. And, and you yeah. know what else I noticed? They had one of the uh, one of the Sun journalists on, on Question Time the other week. Oh God! Um, and 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 this this is there's clearly clearly a bit of Tory learning going on from the last election, where the Labour Party was strong in the NHS and the Tories were as weak as they ought to be. Hmm. Um, because now Cameron's convinced Murdoch to bully his journalists, his little, you know, slimy minions, um, <laughs> to, to, to change the rhetoric. And, and this journalist, he was, he was saying, oh, we, we shouldn't use the NHS as a political issue anymore. It, it should be taken out of politics to be protected. <laughs> oh, yeah. OK. OK. All right. So, A, to let the government do whatever it likes and people won't care because it's a not political issue anymore. And also, so the Labour Party can't say that actually what the Tories are doing is wrong and that we will do it right. So the Tories will win more election. It's electioneering, and it's it's hiding the fact that the NHS is being cut from the public. It's to get it out of the public consciousness, to get people to forget about the NHS. It's a disgrace, and it is, it is, it is the media meddling. That's what it is. It's it is absolutely shocking. I, I tell you, this is a sun. This is Murdoch's strategy to get Cameron or Cameron's successor re-elected. Yeah. One thing on the NHS, which I I don't know a lot about, and I, I want to ask you for clarification. Oh, God. They've said that they're going to have student loans for new nurses to create 10,000 training places. Now, mm. traditionally, nurses went through the system having a free tuition. Because um, NHS places weren't... You didn't pay for your tuition. Does well, this so the, okay, so, so the nurses receive bursaries to cover the costs of training them, basically. So does this mean that they're getting rid of the traditional, you know, getting through the system for free because you're doing a good, you know, yeah. respectable Burs job? Bursaries are gone. You'll have to pay to be a, to, to train as a nurse now. Because that, that's what this Guardian article says. It says, you know, yeah. they're creating 10,000 training places by bringing loans in. It's trying to make it a positive spin. But actually, that's really fucking shit. Yeah, it's sadly nurses. <laughs> Who aren't desperate? Who, frankly, aren't very well paid. Yeah, no, for not the job all. they're doing. It's, it's saddling them with student debt as well. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. It's it's it is so bloody minded. It's ridiculous. Oh, it's horrible. It just you know these these budget cuts. These are George Osborne at its worst. You know it. it he's just revolting. The things he's doing. I, I don't understand the pol. I mean, I no, I, I think I do understand the politics. He that he's bringing about but it's very self-centred it seems a narrow-minded and long term for this country we are going to go back to the Victorian era in terms of poverty in terms of you know safety but within your job and things like that it's, it's that, that is where it's sliding and you know what taking us out of the EU is exactly that same purpose 
Yeah. Workers' protection has, has developed so much under the EU because we've inherited things from countries like France where workers are actually protected. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If we leave the EU, they, you know, we're, we're, we're free to get stuffed by every employer and any employer. It, and it, it, it just won't matter and there's nothing you can do about it. It's a, it's, it is shameful. And you know what? Self-centred is exactly the phrase for these cuts. Lo and behold, George Osborne is going to stand, I think, as the next Tory party leader. And it'll be him and Boris, oh, maybe God. Theresa May, maybe even Gove. Oh, can you imagine? <sighs> but I, 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 don't, I think Gove will get eliminated pretty quick. I, th- I think it'll be a standoff between Osborne and Boris. Oh, God. Not right, Boris. A sort of centrist Tory in Osborne. And then a, right, a proper right-wing old-school nutcase in Boris. Ooh. Ooh. I mean, it might seem like a, a happy, bumbling chap. He's really a complete pillock. Yeah, I think I think he's smarter than some people think he is, and the bumblingness he uses is, to his advantage. He, it, it, it is a deception, but you know you don't even have to question whether it's a deception or it's a truth or not, because his record speaks for itself. Yeah, you look up some Boris Johnson quotes, you see some of the things that he has said. You know, pretty pretty offensive, mm-hmm. um, and his suggestions policies I would say are pretty offensive as well but, but there we go but I think I think Osborne is basically hedging his bets and he's throwing in little sprinkles you know oh I'm protecting the police budget oh I'm creating new nurse jobs all this sort of stuff these are sprinkles to try and to try and cover over mm. the actually the foul job that he's doing to, to convince swing voters that that he, he he will make an excellent prime minister when Cameron steps down at the end of this parliament yeah. it's absolute it's absolute lies and the fact is of course that the deficit isn't actually going down very much at all no it's you look, not. You look you look at the amount of borrowing total borrowing this country has got over the past few years it has gone through the roof yeah the conservatives have not stopped the borrowing increases no, they haven't, they haven't really even slowed the rate. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, yet they're doing all these cuts, causing all this damage, and they're not even working. The country has this. De- this this is just more proof that a country does not work like a wallet. No, you don't take money out, and all of us, you know, you don't you don't change the rate at which you're taking it out, and then you have you know less at the end or whatever. It, it, it's not just like a bank account. <laughs> you can make these cuts, and it still doesn't sort the problem of the deficit out. No, not all. Everyone is suffering, and it is not getting better, this deficit. Disgraceful. Yep. This is Osborne dumping sprinkles on us. A little bit of stardust. <laughs> well, it's not getting my vote, I'll tell you that now. No. No, we, we officially don't support the Conservative Party on this podcast. No, no, we are officially party neutral on this podcast. Except the Conservatives, the UKIP can fuck off too. Uh, hey, hey, no, no, I, uh, by that I meant we didn't formally support any individual party. Alright, yeah, although if you look at our past record, you can kind of paint a little bit of a picture of who we unofficially support. No, absolutely not, <laughs> never. We haven't talked about Jeremy Corbyn yet, actually. Oh yeah, do you want to talk about him? <laughs> yeah, well, I'll talk about his Chancellor, actually, because uh, John McDonald managed to quote uh, Mao Zedong in his, re- <laughs> in, in, in his response to Osborne. He actually had Mao's little red book in his hand in Parliament and slapped it down on the desk on George Osborne's side, and suggested you read it, pointing out, quite rightly, that he was happy. for that George Osborne seemed happy to nationalise things like our energy systems, you know, these nuclear power. Yeah. Just that he would happy, he would happily nationalise our, our energy to the Chinese. <laughs> the, chi- the, the, the Chinese state is going to be running our power plants. Yep. Happy to nationalise energy, just not to us, to the Chinese. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. 
Yeah. And of course, I've no doubt that the son had something to say about how how you know McDonald only knew about Mao Zedong's red book because he's such a raving communist. <laughs> drivel. Do you know how? Do you know throughout that discussion, mm. sometimes my brain slipped and I didn't <laughs> think when you said cuts, I heard something else. And to be fair, it still fit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure Jeremy Hunt's as horrible as everyone says he is. So what now? Oh yes, so you've been to some pictures. I, I've been to the cinema, like I complained a few episodes ago that I hadn't been in ages. But yeah, I went, I went to see The Lady in the Van, um, which is the new film uh, screenplay by Alan Bennett. Mm. Um, That's a very successful play, I'm given to understand. And I'm actually quite keen to see the to see this film. I, I know it's about an old granny, Yeah. but I've been told that actually, it's by, by a number of people, that actually it's the sort of film that anyone could go and see and enjoy. Yeah, it's, it, it's it's not a film for old people, even though it might be about an old person. No, it's it's basically a, it's a somewhat true story, and I'll get back to that in a minute. And Alan Alan Bennett, he, he lives in London, and an old woman who lived in a van was around in the area. I can't remember what years this was. Rather eccentric um, old woman. Yeah, very with you know very specific views on the world and just like <laughs> a very weird outlook. And she's played played fantastically by uh, Maggie Smith. Professor who, McGonagall. Yeah, who she does an absolute job of this just raving lunatic of a woman. <laughs> and was the van in your drive? That never occurred to me. I don't know. I don't know. It might it might not be convenient. No, I've thought it over. Believe me, Miss Shepherd, it, it's all right. Just till you sort yourself out. Well, not convenient for you. Convenient for me. You're not doing me a favour, you know. I have got other fish to fry. A man on the pavement told me if I went south of the river, I'd be welcomed with open arms. I was about to do her a good turn, but as ever. It was not without thoughts of strangulation. Oh dear. The actual, in reality, she stayed for 15 years. Oh, on his drive? Uh, yeah. Good lord. <laughs> um, and Alan Bennett was just like, yeah, I don't know why I kept her, kept her there. You know, <laughs> but once she uh, passed away, um, he did a play on it. And he's also, they've just done a radio uh, drama of it, in which Maggie Smith played the character in both versions. Oh, right, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, she's been Recently, in old... Recently, or is, that, is the radio one uh, old? Well, the play, I think the player was 99, the radio was about 2004, I think. Oh, all, right, okay. Um, but the, they've only just got around to putting it onto film, and it's really, really good film. Um, it's based upon this true story, but whenever it's not been true, um, the Alan Bennett character in the film always makes the audience aware that this is fictional. <laughs> that the ending is completely like, they live ever, happily ever after stupid. And he, like Alan Bennett in the film, just says, "Well, you know, it'd be nice to give her a happy ending, <laughs> you know." Oh dear. Yeah. So and he obviously, and the Alan Bennett in the film is played by the same actor, but it's two Alan Bennetts in the film, and it's, it's very interesting. There's the Alan Bennett, the writer, who is writing down the all the ideas, and then there's Alan Bennett, the pers- the actual person living his day to day life, and it has both Alan Bennetts talking to each other. And it's kind of sort of representing his consciousness. So on one hand, is like 
you know, we should exploit this old lady, we should get rid of her and shove her away. And then there's a writer there who's writing down everything, who's, you know, <laughs> looking... And it works incredibly well. And so you have the, the dialogue between the two, and it's his, it's the character's inner dialogue, but it's done in a very, very creative way. And that, that and you, you didn't find that off-putting at all? Because, I mean, it, and I know that an effect like that is often often goes down badly in mainstream cinema. It works really, really well. Hmm. Because it's... I mean, if you've listened to any Alan Bennett stuff in, or watched any Alan Bennett stuff in the past, there is this monologue hmm. kind of quality to it. And it wouldn't work in a feature film. It would work on stage, it would work on radio, it, it worked on television. Although it wouldn't work now, the way audiences have gone. Yeah, yeah, well... But it... It very monologue and what it did, it broke up that monologue. So it was still his internal monologue, but it happened to be a discussion between two characters. Mm. And it it worked incredibly well. And it was, and for the person who plays Alan Bennett, I can't remember his name unfortunately, but he again he's fantastic. But again, I think he played Alan Bennett on the stage as well in something okay. else. So it, it these people, I mean, the director um, adapted two of Alan Bennett's plays to the film uh, to the screen. Alan Bennett's done the screenplay for it. As well, and it works. It just works incredibly well, and it's it's got dark humor there, but also it has a little bit of humanity to it. And you find out why this all. It's a spoiler, and I won't say it, but you find out why this lady in the van got to how she's is, and you actually sympathize with the character as batty and insane as she is. You do sympathize with her, and it's it's a very human film. I think that's that's the quality of Alan Bennett's work. It's always about the humanity, about the people. Uh, but that's the quality of the film. That's what's great about the film. It's those human interactions. Would you say that it's a funny film? Yeah. Yeah? If, I mean, okay. if, you, if you like Alan Bennett's humour, then yeah. But it's, it's humour that's often more intelligent than it is laugh out loud. I think that's a... It's not a criticism of it. I like that sort of comedy. It's comedy mm. that has levels to it. And it's the sort of comedy I want to see more of. It's comedy that's well thought out, that is... Has depth to it, and it's just, it's funny. It is funny. What, what I, 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 yeah, you know, you've, I, I was keen to see the film already, and I, I think hearing you talk about it, I'm just more keen to see it. Go it's see just, it. It just interests me even more. You know. Yeah, it's good British comedy, and you should support good British comedy when it comes out because we get Quite very right. we get very poor, little bit, poor so. film industry. <laughs> Yeah, really niche. Yeah, <laughs> no, you won't have heard of it. it no. Well, What's it called? Something um, about. Oh, oh I can't. Is it, is it? Is it like? Is it? Is it Nuclear Three? Yeah, Apocalypse Simulator Two Thousand. Uh... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Apocalypse Sim. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. You know what? We're gonna have to come clean with you. It's Fallout Four. It's enormous. <laughs> you can't. If you haven't it, played it already, I'm looking at you, by the way. If you haven't played it already. <laughs> Shame on you. <laughs> also, it's really expensive. Yeah, it's, it's 40 it, quid. <laughs> it is 40 quid on Steam, which is ridiculous. But if you are a massive Fallout fan, as I am, then you pay that much and you just cry about it and moan about it to everyone who will listen. <laughs> but that's only after you've said how really amazing the game is. Look, so, uh, before you begin, do you want to just sort of explain the Fallout series to people who've never played a Fallout game? Okay, first, if you've never played a Fallout game, 
shame on you. I'm looking at you again, Carl. But look, also, um, right, Fallout, in, in many ways, it is a nuclear apocalypse simulator, right? It, the premise of every game is pretty much the same. You emerge from a vault. And while humans have been hiding in these vaults, um, a war has happened. Uh, and, and this is all that prompted you to go down into the vault in the first place. And the bombs have dropped. Uh, ridiculous number of nuclear bombs. You know, the surface of the earth has become irradiated irreparably and society is utterly disintegrated. And there are survivors out there. And there are survivors from vaults who've, in, who've escaped the vaults and come out and then you yourself emerge. Uh, I think that's like 200 years later or something. Um, and basically in every Fallout game, firstly, there is a, a wonderful moment when you first emerge out of the vault. And and you, you really, every game, particularly Fallout 3 actually, you really get a feeling that it, you're so, so alone and so, so vulnerable. But there is this amazing world, open world, just just waiting to be explored. And there's, there's a, you know, there's a crystal clear moment right at the start of every game and it's wonderful and and, and i tell you what fallout 4 does not disappoint it's, it's just the same um but you basically go around um uh shooting stuff shooting horrible monsters and beasties and, and raiders and, and all this sort of stuff and you cut you know you collect really badass guns uh, <laughs> and, but what really makes fallout fallout isn't any of that collecting crap right what makes fallout fallout is quests you you, you you interact with people in this world. There are char- you know, they're proper characters. You know, they're not talking sort of cod crap. With you know, actual <laughs> real characters. And you interact with them. You talk to them, and they, and the world is so utterly convincing that when they give you a quest, you believe that that is what they need to be to do to have done for them. And you know, it, it, sometimes it's something mundane, like you know, go to this place. Uh, there's, there's 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 one quest, one of the earliest quests. You have to find a locket because it's a real sentimental value, and it's been stolen, right? Now that sounds naff until you until you turn up to the place where it's been stolen and it is an absolutely enormous factory littered with lunatic raiders and you and you are this completely green you know imbecile who's just stumbled out of a vault out into this apocalyptic world without so much as a jumpsuit um, <laughs> which is the vault uniform it, it's ridiculous and it it you know the characters and the the whole premise is just you wouldn't think an, a nuclear apocalypse would be convincing. It just sounds so far fetched, but you play it and you are immersed, and that is the signature of Fallout. Yeah. And for me, and I'm not giving any spoilers away, because I, 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 you know that would be despicable. But for me, Fallout Four retains that 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 core premise that that and and it, and it draws you in in just the same way as the others have. Yeah. It, there was a lot of pressure on the makers of this game. Because it's been a long time in the waiting, not to get it wrong. You know, I I personally couldn't care less what they did. You know, with Elder Scrolls, I know you like Elder Scrolls, and I actually quite like Elder Scrolls. But if they cocked it up, I wouldn't mind so much. If they cocked up for that, I'd be well pissed. They didn't. For me, this is this is more of the same, much much more of the same. Hmm. And that's that's how I really how I really characterise it. You know, there there are, there are things about the original games that are really really cool. In this one, 
you don't have to wait for those cool things. You just get them. You just get them straight off. And and you know, I I I for you, you haven't played the Fallout games, and no. I'm hoping I'm just kind of hoping that you'll play Fallout Four without having played the originals. Yeah. Because I would like to know what it's like for you to get the really cool stuff immediately. Because in previous games, you have to wait for it. Mm. And in a way, you know, okay, that makes you want it more if you know it's there. If you don't know it's there, obviously it doesn't. Yeah. But in this, you know, they don't they don't hang around and just get you some of the cool stuff straight off, and it is so cool. It's amazing. What they've done is that, you know, Fallout has always had a a collecting kind of theme to it. You know, you, there's various guns, and you can customise the guns, and there's various armour, and you can customise the armour, and all this sort of stuff. That is back in a big, big, bigger way. And, it, and, and you know, it's cool from the off. You're not, you're not necessarily just wandering around in, you know, a loincloth um, <laughs> and, and one piece of arm armour because you happen to find it on a dead raider. You know, it starts off cool, and it starts it means to go on. Hmm. That I think was is is really nice, and when I say that it's much more of the same, there are more enemies for a start. There's more variety because um, I, I must say that by the end of Fallout Three, I got fed up of killing super mutant uh, overlords or whatever they're called because <laughs> the, the enemies kind of level up with you, but there's only there's like five different types or something. In this, there are far more, and there's more variety, and they are really vicious and they are really scary, and and if you don't like games with zombies in them. This may be not the one that you want to play because the ghouls in this game, they've they've got quieter. They will creep up behind you and take off half your health, boom, just like that, and you will you will shit yourself. You are so scared because you did not see them coming. I hate the ghouls. I really really do. They make me they creep me out so much. Just 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 you wait. That's all I'm saying. But they've also um for me, for me the, the biggest change they've made is the whole settlement system, right? Oh yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, now that's enormous. Um, I, I'm saying this as the biggest change because, or the biggest thing about that, that I want to flag up because I haven't actually played much of the main story. As I say, quests are what makes Fallout Fallout, and the main plot. Okay, it should be convincing, it should be engaging, it should be motivating, and it should draw you in. But Fallout has always had so many side quests, just such an enormity of other things you can do without even doing the main quest. Yeah. I just haven't got round to doing the main quest. I mean, I'm drawn into it, I'm convinced by it, and I'm interested to see how it turns out. That's very interesting. But, actually, I'm still doing these side quests. So, for me, the biggest thing so far has been the use of settlement. Uh, the use of the settlement feature, which is where you can build your own settlement, and you get people who come and live in it, and it gets attacked, and you have to protect it, and you can build it. Now, for me, I'm, I'm the sort of tragic person who bought Hearthfire on Skyrim, right, so I could build me a house. <laughs> right. I felt that too. Well, it's... <laughs> In Fallout 4, it's not a DLC. You don't pay for it. You can build an absolutely amazing shelter and have people come and live in it straight off, and it's really That's cool. Great. It's really, really cool. There's a whole crafting system, and you have to go out into the wasteland and collect rare, you know, rare things like nuclear materials and uh, copper. Interestingly, is a real pain in the ass to find. You think with all the electrics around it'd be easy, but there's actually not much copper. And if you need to have any electricity in a settlement, that is a big deal. Anyway, look, I'm, I'm waffling. The point is, the settlement system is really, 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 really cool. It's just as cool as the makers said it was going to be when they came out at E3, stood on the stage and showed everyone it, and everyone went, <gasps> it's that cool. Yeah. It really it's, is. It's a sort of feature that some people would make the main game. And it's just a side component. Look, I mean, I don't. Um, I, I'm actually surprised they haven't made it a DLC that you pay for because it's so it's so good. I mean, I'm glad they didn't because I really, you know, we we yeah. moaned about this before. 
That, this game seems like it is the antidote to the usual AAA stuff that's been coming out recently. Oh. There's been a lot of games that have been rushed out. See the Assassin's Creed series, the Call of Duty series with yeah. annualised um, versions coming out every single year. New versions of the game. This game they spent four years making and it shines and it shows. It oh, really it does. It really, really does. Uh, you know, if, if, you're, if you're interested in the technical side of things, graphically, it isn't technically amazing. Mm. Um, it's not as lifelike as, as other games. But, and actually, I must say, I don't think it's desperately well optimised either because it's using a lot of computational power for what is not a whole amount of graphics. Yeah. But what I would say is that, that it far, far makes, it, it definitely makes up for that by the fact that the design is so good. Hmm. Everything is designed in such such a good way. You know, it, play the game, you'll see what I mean. Fallout has always been great for its vision and its immersiveness. And and the design of all the buildings and all the characters, all you know the details in terms of design are absolutely brilliant. Really, really good. Even if the textures aren't, you know, the best things you've ever seen. But I would rather that the Makers spent more time on design and less time on making the graphics the best ever. So you liked it then, yeah? <laughs> no, I hated it. Yeah, no, I really like it. <laughs> oh, it's, it's great! It's great to see that these sort of games are still coming out because in a world that carves everything up for DLC, luckily Fallout seems to sort of buck that trend. And actually, what you're getting is a very, very good package, and it's it's worth the money. I look forward to playing it. And thank you for just giving us more of what we wanted. Yeah, and you know what? To make sure that you play this, I'm promising all of our listeners that you are going to do a follow-up review as someone who has never played a Fallout game before. Yeah, I will do. I will do. Do you promise? I promise. I don't know when I'll be buying the game, but I will promise I will... Good uh, shit. I will do that. Hey, if any of the listeners want to buy me the game... <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> well, I mean, are you? Yeah. <laughs> listeners, if you want to buy me the game, buy me the damn game. I want them to play it. <laughs> I've already forked out 40 quid for it. Obviously, that was in the name of doing this review on this podcast. Obviously. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's in the name of research. Okay, then. <laughs> oh, well, thanks very much. Um, we are now at the end of the show. And we made it to episode 7. We made it to episode 7. I'm sorry that it's taken so long to get each episode out. Look, we are trying to do them as regularly as we can, but we're busy. But in the new year, we definitely want to get things sort of more regular. And I think we have to... I mean, you've obviously got some big life changes happening in the new year. and So what will happen, we don't know. But we're going to do more of these shows because I love doing it. We are. Uh, We do enjoy doing them. Um, and we're actually getting very good listeners. We've got about 150 regular listeners now, which is wow. crazy. That's Absolutely amazing. crazy. 150 of you poor bastards. Yeah. Thank you so much for putting up with us. Yeah, and continue to put us up with us. Yes, please time. do. But we have a Facebook page now, which we didn't have last episode. We do. So you we can do. search for another damn conspiracy on Facebook and like that page. We will update it more than once a week following this show. Honest, <laughs> I will try. <laughs> 
we we uh, we still have our Twitter account as well at Damn Conspiracy, and we're also Shout Engine, which is shoutengine.com slash another damn conspiracy. Are we still on iTunes? We're still on iTunes. Ooh. If you can leave, if you do listen to the show on iTunes, if you could leave us a review, it would be very very good, and a positive one would be even better. Yeah, if you're gonna give us a negative one, piss off. You can send it to our email address if you yeah, want. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll 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 fight. We'll file along with the funny spam that we'll read out on a slow news week. How does that sound? Yeah, and it's downconspiracy at calbrain.co.uk. The music was by Josh Woodward, so if you like to type his name into Google, he's got some good music on there that he lets people use for absolutely free, and that's a very noble cause. And we will be back very, very soon, I promise. Ish. Ish. And I think we might even have a guest on next week as well. Ooh. Um, our first guest, actual hosting to be done. And then that note, thanks very much for listening, and we'll Thank see you. you in episode eight. Well, we won't, because we're not oh. we're not GCSQ. We don't see everything. But look, we no. we we'll talk at you again. Oh yeah, we should set up a voicemail for this thing. I wonder if you can do that over Skype. That'd oh be my god. <laughs> that'd be opening a can of worms. But oh, you know dear, what? Dear. Sometimes that's quite fun. <laughs> thanks very much. Good night. Thank you very much. <laughs>